everybody, it's Mumi. Uh, I'm here today, uh, joined as always with my co-host, uh, the master of disaster, Psyotic. Hey, it's Hayden. Wow, Psyotic, you sure do sound different today. I sure do. Must be that uh, fit of schizophrenia you've been uh, kind of dealing with. Yeah, I got it off of Ava. Oh, okay. If you know, you know. End of Ava? If you don't, fuck you. Yeah, it's End of Evangelion. Oh, okay. The end of Evangelion crabs. I didn't realize I you, uh, you watched that recently. No, I love Evangelion. It's my favorite anime. Oh, it's okay. not as good as Ideon, though. Oh, that is true. Psyotic is known for his love of Ideon. And that is true. I do love Ideon. Well, so, Psyotic, today, uh, I thought about, you know, we got the month of December here. A uh, very capitalistic uh, month, uh, lots of buying going on. So uh, I thought, what better way to celebrate December and uh, you know this podcast that will totally come out before uh, December twenty fifth and not after? What better way to celebrate than talking about the biggest market for entertainment, obviously, and video games? We're we're talking about video games. Indeed, and we got somebody special. To talk about it with us. Yeah, you know, we got the biggest name known in the video game community here with us today. In fact, his name is uh, Shabes. It's of uh, Shabes fame. Hey, it's Shabes. Boy, I can't wait to talk about video games. <laughs> he said the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he said it. Well, yeah. It's now, a, can you say salt and vinegar? Salt and vinegar. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, well, so, yeah, we're gonna do a little bit of change of pace, because, uh, obviously Psyotic is not actually here. Uh, spoiler alert. Oh my god, I can't believe it. We have Hayden Loves Anime taking, uh, the co-host slot. So we're gonna do a little bit something different. We're gonna talk about video games, since, uh, he would get jealous if I talked about anime with, uh, other people. So we'll be sure to talk about anime. We'll definitely talk about anime. <laughs> it will definitely come up. <laughs> Probably at some point. Must manifest some jealousy from just just to get under his skin. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not really known for talking about video games. Obviously, uh, our channels aren't really focused on. I mean, I guess Hayden's done some uh, videos on Game Center. I've dabbled in it a little bit. Yeah, we plan we're not, on doing it more. Not really known for video game opinions, so uh, I guess we'll start off by kind of just introducing, you know, ourselves and you know, what kind of got us into video games. Uh, obviously, since I am me and this is my podcast, I don't have to introduce myself, so we'll just pass it on to Shaves. He can uh, kind of give us a little bit of introduction and a little bit of history. So, you know, I, I was I was definitely more of a gamer than I, than I was, like, an anime fan, I guess. Because, I, I mean, I think both of them were kind of tangential yeah, hobbies are just fine, but video games you just it's much easier to put a bunch of time into, you know? Um Yeah. Yeah, more of a gamer than an animator. Well yeah, because like I only I didn't have internet at my house at the time and the only access to anime that I'd have were like um Saturday morning uh Toonzai for kids, like the the local broadcast I didn't even have cable, I didn't have Toonami. Um but I'd also have like the library with like renting out some Ghibli films and shit like that. I they they had Bottle Fairy on DVD, so I got that and I watched that. As That's a, kid. a good show. I, I liked it. Yes, it's it's it is good. No, but um, 
my parents got me a GameCube for Christmas when I was like nine or ten. And uh, they the, the only game that they got me was uh, Disney Extreme Skate Adventure. And they didn't have they didn't have a concept of what a memory card was. But thankfully for that game, it didn't matter uh, that much. <laughs> it doesn't matter that much. Um, so, you know, that's just I just remember those first memories of like, oh, my God, I'm gaming with like playing as Woody on the skateboard. <laughs> in like Andy's room is like my first actual gaming. I tech I technically have some further back memories of like maybe some Pac-Man on an arcade system or something like a passerby thing, or like borrowing a friend's Game Boy Advance and playing some of his games at the time or something like kind of on a on a on a chant on a whim or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was GameCube pretty much, and that was the only system I ever really got. And then in like 2008, I like I got a Wii maybe two years into it because it was such a popular system at the time that it was hard to get. It's hard to find. Uh, so I actually ended up buying Super Smash Brothers Brawl before I owned a Wii for like two months. I had it. I had the game before I had the system. <laughs> Just really funny. Um, and then I had the Wii, which plays GameCube games. And so that's kind of like the the two major ones. And eventually I got a DS. Um, and then I bought my own 3DS for like for Pokemon XY because I ended up being really into Pokemon. It was pretty much like Zelda, Pokemon, Smash is kind of the the really big ones. The other one, I've, I, I played other games on GameCube, uh, particularly Sonic Adventure 2, which I really, really love. But I haven't I didn't really play too many other Sonic games besides that one. Um, it was really just I played most of the most of the Zelda games. And a good deal of the Pokemon games. And then uh, I was around college. Like the, I didn't really get a Wii U or anything because it didn't have their, like it didn't have any big games or anything. So I hadn't gotten it yet. And then around that time, 2013 is when I get into college and I am broke. <laughs> like I am a college student. I'm not, my parents aren't paying for video games anymore yeah, uh, or helping me pay for it or something. And then, you know, you're not getting like, birthday checks or something so uh i had no disposable income so my gaming really sharply declined like i'd I'd, I'd replay something but i didn't have time either because i was like at college right yeah like i didn't bring a tv with me uh in my console i just kind of left it at home um and i was like living it in college for the first two years so then it i just had my computer and that's of the ultimately where I, I started leaning more into anime and found kiss anime and yeah that i think the reason part of the reason i became such a big anime fan was because i couldn't really do video games as much anymore like I'd, I'd go to my college's gamer club and that's where i met my roommates actually um so that was a pretty big deal for me but other than that yeah like i just kind of weaned out of video games and i literally just told you the extent of my <laughs> of of playing pretty much I just got a Switch like this year, but that's it. Oh, Switch is actually like one of my favorite consoles, to be honest. Oh yeah, I I definitely haven't tapped into the potential of it really because there was only a few games that I really craved to play, which was Breath of the Wild, which is a whole story, which is really funny. I could talk about later, um, or something. And then, uh, uh, I that there was this like fifty board game, like um. 
I forget the name of the game, but it's it, I literally bought the Switch for for this game. It was like 51 games or something. And it's like chess, checkers, like Connect Four. And it's, it's just a bunch of, you know, random games and stuff. And I just I wanted to get it for that. And so I did. Yeah, I kind of when I got the Switch, I kind of wanted like every game for the Switch because <laughs> it's like. Oh, like you could play the game and just have the screen on the floor and you're just like lying in bed, just face down with your head over the bed, looking down at it. And you're like, your hands are to your side. It's just so freaking cozy. That is nice. I got a switch light, so I can't do that. <laughs> uh, but but I do. I do feel you. That is that is uncozy. Yeah, I, I think I actually had like a kind of similar experience as far as the the you know, getting older, not having money for games. Um because I've, I've said there's like an alternate reality where back in like 2012 or 2011, I started making videos about video games. Because <laughs> like at that time, I did like nothing but play video games. I didn't get back into anime until like 2012, mid 2012. Um, and I basically just got back into it because, you know, I didn't have any money. Uh, and I did I had like old games, but. I couldn't keep up with the new games like I had been. Um, so I kind of, I feel you on that. Like I definitely got more into anime because I didn't have the money to keep, keep up with the gaming habit. Yeah. And now for me, it's a time thing. Oh yeah. You know, um, I like, I, now I'm like, I obviously have the money to put, to buy games, but like, I would rather, I, I got so deep into it into anime that like I would rather spend the time watching Naruto or these other shonen titles and stuff like that um, for my downtime. But otherwise, I I've realized about myself that like I'm a a very sore loser. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, I'm not I'm I get very very gamer gamer I have a very heated gamer moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I get really bad sometimes. Um, and also, it's just like I feel like I could sink way too many hours into it. And I wouldn't be as productive as I am. You know, I like doing videos and I like doing like the job that I have and stuff. So as much as I want to get Animal Crossing, because I did play it on the GameCube at the time, uh, I would want to get the new Animal Crossing because it sound, looks amazing. I know that it would completely overtake my life. Right. So I, I just don't I just don't touch it. I only go for like short games that I can beat, you know? Yeah. I probably only play like three games a year now. Like you just get this like guilt of like, oh man, I could be like working on my backlog. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Hayden, you, you seem to have like, we'll get, we'll get into my uh, history here, but you kind of have like a, the reverse of mine. Yeah. It's pretty interesting how that works. Um, basically. So I'm 21. I'm the youngest one out of all of us. And in a way, I have the most boomer taste in video games. And it's not really intentionally. It also tangibly um, correlates to the whole money thing. Because for a while, uh, retro gaming, which is what I'm really the most into, was sort of like a um, more uh, easy, easy hobby for me. Because you could just get a bunch of games, play them, have a bunch of systems, and it's cool. You know, it's a fun hobby. Um, my first game was Pokemon Silver and Crystal that I got with my Game Boy Advance. Uh, basically, just opened the floodgates. Um, I did also have a Wii, uh, for a while. I still have it, actually. Um, but I wasn't really as interested 
in it as uh, was the other games. So it's mostly a matter of me not having that much money to really keep up with modern games, but also just being more interested in older games, just in general. Yeah, I I have that. I have a similar kind of a, attraction to them, where like the aesthetics are really interesting. I like how simple the, the controls are, and I, I just also like how short they can be. You know, like you can beat Zelda in like Zelda one in like a day, assuming you know what to do, right? Like, uh, I wish I could. Uh, I wish I could like play that game without having without any knowledge of it anymore, um, like without knowing any of the secrets and stuff like that. Because I kind of optimized that game, but it was like, yeah, I, I like, I like short games. Like I, you're, you talking about that reminded me. Literally yesterday, uh, somebody on Twitter like retweeted something. It was like, oh, this is an interesting game. It was called uh, Spelunker, I believe it's Spelunker. Oh, I love Spelunker. I, there's actually an anime and manga based on Spelunker. I'm oh, nice. not going to jump into anime immediately, but I'm just <laughs> yeah. saying it exists and it is awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. But like, I just loved the aesthetic of it. And I like exploration like that, uh, like Minecraft and stuff. The funny thing, funny thing with Minecraft is that like, I didn't have, I only had a laptop at the time. So I couldn't really play Minecraft all that well. Um, because like my the lag was just so like my fit, my computer physically couldn't handle it. And that was the case for years. And only now I finally have like a computer that actually could run Minecraft. But at this point, I feel like I would just be really bad at it. And I'm also kind of an easy to spook person. So like Minecraft could be kind of a spooky game. So I, I've gotten very irrationally scared by it sometimes. But I, I cannot stop watching Minecraft videos. I, I've been watching them for like over a decade now. Like I, I would watch like the Yogscast videos back in 11 or 12 because, you know, they could play those mods or, or those, you know, versions of that game that I could never possibly do uh, either with money, time or resources and stuff. So like I've been watching Minecraft content for years, literally years, but then I never have the initiative or like drive to play it myself, which is tragic, but funny. Yeah. I used to also have a pretty long Minecraft phase where I would watch videos about it and play it a lot, but it was also that, uh, that game that kind of brought me this realization because uh, there's no ending to the game. Well, there is an ending, but, you know, it's not really an ending. You just play it for the sake of having fun. Yeah. And I realized that I enjoy playing video games, and I think it is fun playing video games, but ultimately, uh, the appeal of retro games is that it's kind of, like, it is somewhat feasible to beat, like, every single Famicom right. game. I don't think it's feasible to keep up with every single hot game release uh nowadays especially if you t uh, take more things into consideration like indie um some of the garbage people put on steam uh, obviously triple a games you know there are so many uh more variables yeah it's that, it's that matthew matosis thing where he's like you know at this point someone born in 2020 could not possibly even probably can't even beat all the classics all the essentials there's just that many essentials now like all the old, like all the games from like the PlayStation era and things like that, they're just too long at this point. Yeah, at least a quarter of that's just going to be Metal Gear. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is kind of intimidating in a way. Um, especially, and personal thing for me, I really do not, I think video games 
in a lot of ways are basically unplayable without um just doing it on an emulator because i love having save states and speed up and being able to customize the rom itself yeah and stuff like that that's basically how i also got into retro games i watched like angry video game nerd and uh was really interested in all of the NES accessories and stuff like that. Thought it was really fun. But then actually like getting into playing video games, I just did it via emulators. Because there is that immediacy, that um, plug and play. Just put a game on, play it for a bit, and then move on to the next thing. And you can also just um, save anywhere. Because my biggest problem with Pokemon was always that I could not save in a battle. With an emulator, I can. Yeah. Yeah, but that's cheating. <laughs> God damn it, I'm a cheater. No. Yeah, but like, um, I agree with that. I don't think I'd be able to stand playing Earthbound if I didn't do it on an emulator. Oh, yeah. Because the way that the grinding works in that game, the way if like, if you die, if your party dies, you have to like, it's a, it's a fairly expensive, you know, in game. It's a fairly expensive process, time consuming to revive the whole party. Things it's not so much save states as it is like literally speeding through some of the stuff in order to like get through the game in a sane manner, you know, without just getting tired of it, like putting it down and never touching it again. Yeah, that game can definitely be a bit of an uh, endeavor. Um Mother One also, especially, but uh we can go back to those games bit later when we talk about our favorite games it was funny i i completely forget that i played some of these games until they brought up and like oh yeah i did play that at one point <laughs> you know <laughs> because, you know purely out of like oh i should probably play this like i i only played earthbound maybe two years ago on an emulator and it was just like you know at the time and i was like oh yeah i should probably do this and it, it was during americorps too I think that's also a case for emulation, actually, the sense of discovery, because there is mm. something about um, like going onto a ROM side or something, uh, or if you downloaded a ROM package, just going through all of these games and you're just like, what the fuck are some of these color a dinosaur on NES? What the fuck is that dog shit? But then like you find a game that people don't really talk about, but is really freaking good. Mm. Um, Mr. Game now is obviously a very revered NES game, but that was a big one for me where it was like, oh my god, why, how is this not like the best known game on the NES? This is incredible. One of the best games ever made. I did this with, um, with Spelunker because I saw like somebody had like, had like a gif of it or whatever. I'm like, oh, that was cool. And so I YouTube search it. I, I, I YouTube search Spelunker and then I just watch a gameplay th- of it like I'm, I'm not playing it myself and i get like there's some people who think that would be weird and stuff I'm like why would you watch someone else play it but it is just like it's nice i can just like watch it be played well and i don't have to like i don't have to stress about because it sounds like it's a blogger seems like kind of a difficult game because the character can die very easily like he just jumps off a little bit of a ledge and he dies sort of thing <laughs> it is a very funny game so like watching someone play it decently like not, not perfectly it's not like a speed run but like really well, and you you just see how the game would would play out and stuff like that. I'm like, oh okay, um, and so like, you get a, a good a good sense of the game basically. And so like I did the same thing with like the Bionicle um, online games. You just kind of watch the the gameplay of that, and you can get a sense of what the game is like. And you can kind of fast forward through like, oh, it's kind of the same 
kind of the same gameplay or the same thing that happens here and you go through all that and you can kind of skip through a little bit and get the a secondhand experience i'm not going to say that i played those games i would never say that but like at least to get understanding of them you know what i mean yeah yeah i think i'm too much of a boomer because like i never (laughs) understood like the appeal like i get it like when people explain it like it's not like i'm like oh i don't understand right right (laughs) not like a foreign concept it's just like for me personally i don't i watch the videos and i'm like "Eh, i just play the game myself oh sure yeah i think it's good as a preview if it's a game you want to be surprised about like i certainly wouldn't want to do that for like uh a game that i want to play which i haven't played super metroid yet i would like to play that game and so I'm not going to look up a playthrough of that uh, because I, I do want to be like, I do want to kind of see that firsthand or something like that. But I do think I also think that like on retrospect of my gaming path, you know, like meet my history with games, I am such a sore loser. It kind of in- includes like getting stuck and then just completely giving up and looking at the guide. Like I I am much I have more fun playing games when I'm not completely stressed out of i've had i've had bad experiences sometimes with like you know not knowing what to do and shit like that like i have like almost a sort of p i don't i don't go so far as to say ptsd but like i remember being stuck playing super mario brothers 2 for example and not knowing how to beat birdo so i'm like what the f-? and i remember just staying there for like 40 minutes dying and then running go, doing the whole stage again only to get that, get there and not know what to do and dying again and just playing that for like two hours. I still remember that. I know how to beat her now. And so it doesn't bother me as much. But like that was, I remember that experience really specifically. And so like, I think I do a lot of look up like walkthroughs and looking stuff up a lot. Yeah, I will admit to doing that a lot as well. I'm quite the pussy, basically. <laughs> Yeah, that's the perfect sort of middle ground, because like, while I do prefer older games to newer games, generally speaking, I would not want to live in the 80s and play NES games, because not having access to the internet makes a lot of those games just unplayable. (laughs) Yeah, Like, imagine actually feasibly trying to beat Zelda without a walkthrough. Oh, you could. You can't. Yes, you could. Yes, you could. It wouldn't be easy. Zelda one. Zelda one. Yeah, yeah, you could. Yeah, you're supposed to like talk about with your friends. I mean, if you want to spend several hours burning down every tree, then you know, be my guest. But uh, no, I got I got shit to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was Nintendo's shtick back then. Like they wanted you to actually go out and socialize. Yeah, I think that's definitely also a case. But I never really had that experience, so I can't really speak too much on it myself. Yeah, I think I think now they they put they they emphasize challenge in things that are just kind of insanely difficult. Even if you do have the walkthrough and like the answers to everything, it's still a matter of going out and doing it, like getting all the Korok seeds, for example. Like, good fucking luck, dude. Like, even if you have all the knowledge in the world, all the Internet, all the tricks and everything, it's still the the physical process of getting all of them to, to, to actually do it. That's the kind of challenge that they have to impose unless unless you 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 take it upon yourself not to look it up you know what i mean oh yeah but i do think movie also brings up a good point about uh socializing right so would you like to elaborate on that movie oh like just you know back in the day like a lot of games were just kind of made with the intent that you were gonna go 
you know, talk about it with your friends and you're going to have that sense of exploration that was just going to be shared amongst like, I guess, a community in a way. Yeah. Like you, like you would draw the map and you'd be like, oh, it, there's something over here. Yeah. Like, oh, really? Uh, yeah. A lot of the mechanics, like once they kind of start gearing more, like, you know, with Pokemon, for example, like a lot of the mechanics of Pokemon are geared specifically toward, you know, going out and like socializing and, you know, being like, oh, I need an Alkazam, so I need to trade you this Kadabra, and then you can trade me Machoke, and all, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They very much, like, focused on that community kind of aspect, which I guess now you, you just kind of get that from the internet. You don't need to have that kind of built into the game. Do you remember having any experiences, uh, experiences like that in real life? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually do have one, and it is related, it is related to Zelda. It, it was more like talking about it in like a in a social setting, but like I distinctly remember being on the school bus and talking to this older kid. It was like a like a grade or two higher than me, and I was saying how I was playing Ocarina of Time, but I was like stuck in Jabu Jabu's belly or whatever. And he's like, "Dude, do you know this is a time skip?" And he goes into an adult, and I'm like, "What? No way!" There's like, <laughs> and they do this five more dungeons. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> like five or six more dungeons, and um. It totally blew my mind, I, you know, so stuff like that and hearing about what happens later in the game and things like that, little secrets like that, for sure. But I remember yeah. hearing about that for like Zelda 1 in particular. I remember yeah, as a kid, like you, you did, you could hear like the rumors, like, you know, the playground rumors of, uh, you know, the typical muse under the truck. Yep. Um, I remember there was like peekaboo, if you've beat the Elite Four a hundred times without dying and, uh throw your Pikachu in the whirlpool or something, you know, that kind of nonsense. Gary's Raticate. <laughs> Gary's Raticate. Uh, I remember the one of like... Feel old yet? <laughs> I remember the one of like, when Smash Bros. came out, everyone was like, oh, Samus is uh, Captain Falcon's sister. And you're like, what? I've never heard that before. That's crazy. <laughs> there were a lot of those, like just weird rumors that uh, would come around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, like, just getting into my history a little bit, because I guess that's going to, that ties back into just the time period. I started getting into games in the early 90s, very casually. Like, we had, like, a, you know, Sega Genesis and, like, the Nomad. We had, like, a Panasonic 3DO. So I played, like, like Sonic Spinball and, like, Vector Man and the Comic Zone. There was, like, a game called Jurassic Park Interactive Experience that I had on the 3DO. <laughs> I remember you would just like stand in this dark hallway and like it was almost like a alien versus predator game on the the Jaguar whereas but it was like completely dark and like this is this velociraptor would run at you. It was a messed up game for a 4-year-old. <laughs> yeah, uh, that Jurassic Park game on Sega Genesis is also kind of fucked up with the intro and like the flashing T-Rex. That game was kind of fire though. That game that game is kind of a banger, I will say. It's pretty cool. But yeah, I, I played like Link's Awakening on the Game Boy at my cousin's house and Link to the Past, like Daycare and like the Star Wars, you know, on Super Nintendo. But I didn't really like like games a whole, whole lot. Like it, it didn't like fascinate me until uh, Ocarina of Time came out. I remember going to my cousin's house because she got it for Christmas. And I remember going, she had it on her uh, like 43 inch CRT TV, which was huge in 1998. <laughs> and I remember just being like, whoa. This looks so real. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> that was like a watershed moment for like a six-year-old, a five-year-old in the 90s going from the Super Nintendo. Yeah, especially coming from like a 2D environment to 3D. It must have been like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> it's the future, man. 
Yeah, and that, and that kind of is, is what makes me kind of the inverse of like Hayden, because like I didn't, I, I didn't dislike games, but they're just kind of like the thing I just did. Yeah. Uh, but it was like the when they returned to the 3D that like I started getting like really immersed. You're like, oh whoa, whoa, this is this is crazy. This is what games could do. Yeah. But I really just kind of dabbled up until like just to the PS2. I played like Kingdom Hearts and like Guitar Hero and DDR and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it really wasn't until like Halo Three that i kind of really started getting into video games mm. and i don't even like halo like i don't dislike halo but i don't like it that much yeah like i just played it with like friends you know after school we'd all get together and play online and it was like that investment like you're already kind of you have a console you're just putting a lot of time into it like i started picking up other games that looked interesting so i end up in like the orange box like fallout 3 and stuff like that and that's what really kind of got me like really invested in the games where you know i started following and like actually like thinking about you know the experiences i was having because like before you're just kind of like you know playing halo just to kill time with your friends after school right but yeah that up until you know i didn't really have the money to keep up with games was pretty into them where i played basically like the big i'd say like 10 titles each year yeah it's uh, yeah i uh i had mutuals that would like be really up to date like that and they'd play halo a lot they'd be like, like play halo reach and things like that and the skyrim coming out in 2011 was a pretty big deal i remember playing it like i would play a lot of games secondhand right i'd play them like at a friend's house or something or like you know it'd come out like the, i i remember like the night destiny came out i was at a friend's house and i think i played it to like 3 a.m or something just like playing it with them uh things like that like i've had i've had good experiences like that but it was never to the point where i'd I'd own those games or i'd go out and get my own xbox to like go online and play with them or anything like that i don't know i just it wasn't the same i wasn't as into like the multiplayer stuff like i'd play melee a lot i'd play a lot of melee but i was perfectly satisfied with playing it on my own against uh against computers which i guess that brings up an interesting you know topic what is it about video games specifically that you know kind of resonate with us? I don't know. I think it's I think it's sort of just the the challenge. I think it's just the thing to do that it has a has a goal and and the interactivity of it that like you know it's it's you that did that and it's not something you just kind of experienced or watched someone do. Like I I enjoy uh watching Minecraft videos for you know for for watching accomplishment in terms in in the same way that you enjoy a narrative, like you'd watch an anime for like seeing them accomplish something, but there is something unique, uniquely uh, satisfying about like, I beat that boss. I beat that dungeon. I got that thing. You know, I worked to get this, whatever. I would agree. What I think about kind of the games that really resonate with me the most, they kind of almost like tell a story just in like the moment to moment gameplay. Mm. It's not necessarily just like the cutscenes or, you know, you're almost like, forming a story just playing the game yeah splatterhouse is a great game for that oh yeah yeah splatterhouse definitely look at it what system was what, what was that the remake in like 2011 well any of them really uh but especially the arcade version which is one of my favorite games of all time that ending is something else that is i don't know if i'm familiar with it oh you definitely need to look into that what kind of game was it it was like a beat-em-up i think uh, oh. the third game is more of a beat em up. It's more of a side scroller where you just kind of <laughs> beat people up. It sounds like a beat em up, but it's n- not quite. 
I'd say. More like a platformer? Uh, I, I guess I'd say it's more of like a brawler. Uh, you know what? It does sound a little familiar. I feel like AVGN may have talked about it. Oh, yeah, he definitely talked about it. Yeah. You know who has talked about it? Uh, Happy Video Game Nerd. Oh, yeah. I think the games I think of when I'm thinking of like that kind of thing is like Eco and like Silent Hill 2. Mm. Like, those are like the two go-to examples for me. Yeah. Yeah, Eco's a big one, too. I've been wanting to play Eco. I played Shadow of the Colossus because I had those similar vibes of like, oh, my God, that looks really, really cool aesthetic, like aesthetically and atmospherically. But then I, I just couldn't get over how challenging Shadow of the Colossus was, so I got maybe halfway through that game. Shadow of the Colossus and Eco are both like two of my favorite games. But like with Eco, like the great thing about that, as far as like the storytelling goes, like when into the gameplay, it doesn't necessarily like. So it's like Silent Hill Two. Like if you do certain things, like you'll get like an ending out of it. So there's like a tangential result to your actions in the gameplay. But Eco doesn't necessarily have that. So it's just like it's just within that moment you have that storytelling. It's just like little things, really, with like the animation of the characters, because, you know, if you know the concept of Eco, you're you know holding the girl's hand and like traveling a castle. Right. Well, the animation when you're typically when people are playing the game, they're just like running as fast as they can just to get through it. And if you pay attention, like in the animation, uh, the girl Yorda is like struggling to keep up with you. And like just that little like moment in like animation is one of the things that really stands out to me. So it's like you could almost play the game and be like really attentive to Yorda and like walk really slowly. And that would like double the game's length and it would probably like drive you insane. But if you wanted to like tell that story yourself, you know, it kind of gives you the freedom to do that. And even if you're not doing that, like it still kind of reflects on the character because the main character being so young, you can just be like, oh, well, he's just immature and inattentive to like other people's needs. Mm -hmm. So like those kind of things like really resonate with me in video games. Yeah, and you're forming a bond even though the the the, char- the characters aren't talking that much. It's similar like Shadow of Colossus, where like you form a bond with your horse because it's the only other living thing that you have any any relationship with in that game. Uh, and and then later on, you know, as I as as I've seen gameplay of it, you know, <laughs> things happen. I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> yeah, those games were like great because like. Eco, they don't even like speak the same language, so you're just kind of interacting with each other very simply. Yeah. With Shadow of the Colossus, it's great because like it really allows like the player to have like these really quiet moments of just like reflection. You're kind of given this task, but you're not really. I mean, you know why you're doing it, but you don't know how A plus B is going to lead you to C, and so you're kind of just thinking like, you know, why am I doing this? What am I accomplishing in doing this exactly? Mm-hmm. And it just gives you this you know this nice silence just with you and the horse just traveling these long open fields with you and your thoughts yeah yeah i think that kind of stuff like even in anime too like they kind of reflect what i just like on a media in general having these questions be posed and then you have like these little moments that like fill out the world that don't necessarily have to be these like large impactful like narrative plot points Mm -hmm. like a one i always think of is like a in the anime Yuki Yuna, just the characters like phone lock screens, if you pay attention, is each the two main characters, like it's their um the other one's birthday. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like this little nice touch that they don't expect you to know watching the show. But if you pay attention, look into stuff, you get that out of it. Mm-hmm. It's a unique form of escapism. Cause like I you you mentioning that it kind of you would you say that applies a lot to like slice of life stuff? Yeah, like definitely 
I think that's like the large appeal of like those kind of character driven slice of life shows is that you can just kind of immerse yourself and like pick on these little details and it really fleshes out these characters. Like even though, you know, a lot of slice of life don't necessarily have this like grand character art, but they can characterize these characters so well because there's just like these little small moments of just like characterization. And it's just like Silent Hill 2. I haven't played that game either yet, but it is another one that I'm interested in playing. And it's you just look at that game and it's a horror game, but like you're you're kind of playing it for those almost similarly. I, this is speculation on my part, of course, similar on kind of like a, a, an aesthetic slice of life type of way where you're just escape you're just escaping to a town that's like this, that's very mysterious and uh in a situation that's not your own and it might be a little more stressful <laughs> right but like it's silent you know it's a horror game and stuff but it is something that's different from your current life which you know you're stuck with you know tw- however many hours of the day every day um so it is something you're just kind of being teleported somewhere else even if it's not something on its face that seems entertaining like it's like oh why would i why would i want to play this sort of game it doesn't seem like the kind of I'm just like thinking from like a boomer perspective. This is kind of reminding me of like, I don't want to go too far into this idea, but it's like the the anime encyclopedia, how they don't seem to, they don't seem to appreciate slice of life in the same way. Like there has to be something kind of happening or there's some have to be some sort of really, especially interesting writing or like, like something to, to kind of latch onto. Gotta but have stakes. It's gotta have a plot. Right. Or stakes or something. Right. Um, they had an exception just now in my reading of cross game. They actually really like cross game. And they're like, this is a rare example of uh, of a good slice of life anime. I'm paraphrasing, but they're like, oh, it's a rare, rare, good slice. Of life. I'm like, geez, really? Like, like, yeah, no, no, that's great. You liked cross game. But like, does it really have to have this really involving plot that like or a really emotional hook that Adachi has in that particular series? Like, are you going to say same same thing about touch where like that emotional hook doesn't really drive in until 25 episodes in? I, I think a lot of that because I've, I've actually had like discussions with like older people and like they kind of have the mentality of like they want to get behind like a, they want a story they can get behind. Yeah. Totally unrelated. Not even <laughs> in the same realm of what we're talking about. But I've talked to people that like like uh, idol groups mm-hmm. specifically like k-pop idol groups and a lot of like their fascination is like the story of this group like they like oh i I just they have such a a great story i want to get behind them and root for them so i think some people like have to have that kind of you know draw yeah Yeah. it's just like they have to have something happening for them to root for what was it just thing i had an idea i had thought oh yeah no right there was the fact that like yeah i would say that games to to touch upon rear back around that thing of like what's appealing about video games in particular is that it, it is it's sort of a cliche answer but it really is just escapism it is just going to a completely different setting in time and acting in it i think it's a, a stronger form of escapism in that way because of the interactivity you know like you're the one making those decisions and roaming around that world it's like i'll decide to walk over to that tree and inspect it <laughs> you know <laughs> like hyrule field or something yeah well it's interesting because like in Silent Hill 2 specifically since you, you were using it as an example like right I appreciate the mechanics of it as like a you know survival horror game and I'm like oh yeah the inventory management and all that like I, I really get into that and appreciate that but really I don't 
really plays like horror. I got and horror games are my favorite genre of video games. Just FYI, mm-hmm. I don't really play them for like the scare necessarily. to get scared. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> like I want to get scared, right? Yeah, like I, I did get scared, but like, I did play like Resident Evil remake on the GameCube as a kid, and that kind of was like you know very intimidating. That you out. But uh-huh. as I've gotten older, like they don't really do anything for me on that level. But like they're just so like oozing in like atmosphere mm-hmm. so you can just like immerse yourself in like just this great like constructed atmosphere of just like walking through this desolate town or exploring this rundown mansion i remembered exactly what i was going to say earlier i was going to mention i was going to bring up death stranding oh yeah that's like that that's a game where boomers would have no <laughs> understanding of why people like playing that game or why they think that why people think that game is good because it's like you're just walking you're literally just walking from one place to another and and like and you're delivering packages and shit and the mechanics are are around navigating this terrain uh so that you don't trip and lose health (laughs) um and like you know weighing your backpack and things like that and distributing your weight and shit it's like why would anyone want to play that, right? It's a simulate. It's a glorified walking simulator, glorified FedEx simulator. Right? Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, but the thing at, the, at that game is, it's not simply the the story by Kojima and the world that he builds there, but it's also just like the actual act of walking around this really interesting terrain. The fact that the game is so built around this idea and like it's immersive in that way, and with the, the music he chooses. And the types of threats that he puts in your way and the problem solving that that comes from that, like it seems such a mundane choice. And and I feel like a lot of like it's similar to some boomers not liking slice of life or not understanding that sort of thing. I think it's a similar thing, right? Really, where it's like, yeah, that's the appeal. It's, it's sort of like it, it's completely immersive, its own unique way through its music and its animations and its its setting and atmosphere and things like that. I think what little i've seen of like because i have not actually played death stranding well little i've seen of it yeah like it almost this is gonna sound <laughs> game journalism moment but it almost kind of reminds me uh-huh. to make the parallel of like dark souls yeah! <laughs> you know it's kind of asking you to be kind of engaged in like moment to moment yeah it just in death stranding's case it's just to not trip on a rock or a leaf or a twig Whereas in Dark Souls, it's it's you know throwing enemies at you. Yeah, and I was thinking about Dark Souls too because you mentioned how like horror, you're not really in it for the horror aspect so much. Like I don't know if many people are are playing Dark Souls or Bloodborne for the horror elements. You know, they're playing it for <laughs> for the the difficulty. Like that's actually probably the the scariest part of those games is how bleeding hard those that they can be. My my first playthrough of Dark Souls, I definitely felt more as far as like a horror element goes like just exploring well past like what you probably should and being like oh crap if i die here i don't know if like there's a checkpoint up ahead like if i die here like i'm gonna lose all this progress like definitely had more of that than you know in like a resident evil even even though it's kind of more constructed for that yeah that's a game that i've rage quit i don't remember what version of dark souls it was but it was one of those games that was one of those games where i went over to my friend's house and i played it and i got so fucking pissed because i kept i couldn't get past a certain area and i kept dying and you know in that game when you when you die you have a particular you know the whole thing with souls and shit like that it was just very aggravating which which area was it i i don't even know what game it was i don't remember (laughs) 
So I, I know it was a I know it was a Dark Souls game. I only, I only ask because just when I first played Dark Souls, I remember I got past like the tutorial area, and this is Dark mm-hmm. Souls one back in the day. Um, yeah, I remember trying to play like it seemed obvious to me that the level was telling me to go this one direction, and like I tried going there, and you know up to this point, everything's just, just like all the advertisements and stuff are just like talking about how hard the game is. Well, I go in this area and they just like wreck me. It never occurs to me like, oh, well, I must be going the wrong way. I must be underleveled or something. I'm just like, well, yep, this game's hard. And like I dropped it and I didn't play it for years after. <laughs> and it wasn't until like later on I realized like I was going the complete wrong direction. Mm. And that's always that's actually a, a moment that I always point to for like advertisements and like how they can kind of be a detriment to the game itself. Because, like, if I were playing a normal game, if it wasn't Dark Souls and if it wasn't built up as, like, you will die, this is the hardest game you've ever played. Like, if it hadn't had all that behind it, I probably would have been like, oh, I must not be supposed to go this direction because I'm getting just destroyed. But because it had all that, I'm like, oh, yeah, this game's hard. I, I don't, that, this isn't for me. I get that. I think I understand. I think I feel that, too, because I think I, I, I feel like I remember playing that game and being like, yeah, it's supposed to be this nihilistically hard <laughs> and yeah they're supposed to go through like this is the way you can't do it get good type of deal and, and you're not you're not incentivized to then either think outside of the box or try something different you know you're just like i just i just have to keep bashing my head against this wall here it's funny you say that because i always when i talk about dark souls difficulty um because like as i've as i gave it another chance like i was so glad i gave it another chance because i end up really loving the game but the Dark Souls difficulty to me is like they've built this house and they didn't put a front door on it. And so you as a player, you just go to this where the front door would be and you're like, where's the door? They didn't put a door here. This is bullshit. What? This game is fucked up. And you're just like slamming your head against this wall where a door should be. And at some point, there's just like this moment of clarity where you're like, oh, I could just go in through the window. There's always like a, an easier kind of way to go about things. Um, it it it's does it's not really like this crushingly hard game. Like it's just really it just asks for you to pay attention, and like I think so many people, like me, I, I'm guilty of it as well. Like we we've just kind of been conditioned by like uh, Skyrim and Fallout. You have like these long, big open world games that you don't really have to pay attention to. And this kind of runs contrary to what I was just praising about Shadow of the Colossus, where like you had these moments of like introspection. Um, and you definitely have those in those games, but it doesn't really ask for you to like pay attention when you're doing that. Whereas Dark Souls is asking the player like, hey, you, you can't just walk through here mindlessly. You have to kind of pay attention to what you're doing and like plot out, a, a, you know, the course you're going to take and, you know, manage your resources well. And I think that's the barrier of entry for a lot of people for that game. I would actually like to ask um, on the topic of frustration and difficulty and stuff like that. How do you guys deal with gamer rage? Uh, not well. <laughs> not well. I, oh my gosh. Because I have a pretty interesting uh, view on this, but I would like to hear you guys' uh, perspectives first. Yeah, my, I literally just stop. I just stop playing and I, I don't pick it up again. Or like, uh, it's not the case so much, but like, you know, something with Smash or something, right? Like, you know, it depends how how you do if it's like you know if you've got close if it was a good fight it's like okay fine if you get totally annihilated like at like dick up the ass fucked you know um 
that it, it gets i get really disenchanted like i'm just like oh i can't play that like i remember like being really into pokemon and the thing with that game is that like it's very difficult to play it exactly how you want to play it like you kind of have to have certain pokemon or generally you're not gonna have a good you know like it's it's difficult and so there's certain teams that I would want to, certain Pokemon I'd want to use and certain teams I'd want to make and stuff. And I wouldn't do good at them. And it's, you can never tell if it's you, that's the problem that you just didn't play it well with the Pokemon that you made or the Pokemon themselves aren't good enough. Or you're just like either blaming the game or blaming yourself. It's, it's hard to find that line um, for me at least. And then like my roommates play smash, but uh, not all the time. Like we, we're not like smash house or anything. But like um, we have friends we cut that come over like every Friday of the of the first the first Friday of the month. We've been doing that for the past two months now, very, very recently. And the first time the first time we did it, I wasn't getting anything, anything close to a win um, in Smash. And I'm usually I usually think of myself as being pretty decent, um, like kind of a, above average, I guess. It, but like we were playing like eight player Smash and shit like that. And there would be certain roommates of ours that don't play it all that often they just pick kirby and down they down b like all the time right and so shit like that <laughs> like really like cheap stuff quote unquote and um there was one instance where like i think i got three i think i lost all my stocks and i was like the first person to go out and it was like thir- within 30 seconds of the game and so i like i put my controller down and i like walked outside of the room i'm just like <sighs> <sighs> and I, I couldn't i couldn't <laughs> I was salt. I was home. That was the problem. <laughs> I was home. And so it, it sucked. No, but like, I get very salty. I get very, very salty. And I, and I, I realized that within myself. So then I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I don't want to like cause a scene, you know, make a bad impression on other people, you know, cause it's shitty. It, it's, it, you can act for like, like an asshole. It's, it's irrational anger you know gotta have that good sportsmanship yeah it's a matter of having good sportsmanship but it's like you can't help how you how you're gonna feel about it so it's sort of like acknowledging the feelings and dealing with it in the best possible way not making it not throwing a tantrum right not like you know (laughs) being so visibly upset (laughs) i guess yeah it's just a shitty feeling though it is a really shitty feeling um but even like with single player games, I do think I've had more anxiety or stress or frustration with video games than I've had with a lot of other things. More so than I've had with a lot of other things, honestly. Certain things, you're, you're going in circles, you don't know what to do, you've tried everything, or this thing's too hard, or, you know, you're not prepared, or whatever. It's just a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shitty feeling. <laughs> well, video games are, you know, a great outlet for that. Like. The whole, like, argument, you know, back in the 90s and 2000s about, like, you know, games cause violence and all that. Really, it shows that, yeah, there's an increase in, like, short-term aggression, but it actually, like, decreases your long-term aggression. Because it's, like, a good, like, outlet just to, like, you know, vent these, you know, things you might not be able to do in your just normal everyday life. I find it as a source of stress. That's the problem. (laughs) Like, I actually feel more shitty. Like, like I have a chance of feeling really bad or shitty more more often than not. And that could be a... the real objective reason I stopped, I veered away from video games was the money, was money. I literally couldn't 
afford or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like looking, you know, retrospect and like thinking about it more, I just think it was like my attitude towards them. I'm just like, I can't, I can't put that amount of stress in my life. <laughs> See, like, I don't really have that anymore. So like when I was, when I was younger, like when I first kind of got into games, like pretty seriously. Yeah. I guess like the best example of it would have been like Call of Duty. I was really into like completing games back in the day. I call it like I got into Modern Warfare and I really wanted to do like all the campaign achievements. And that game is kind of infamous for, you know, being pretty difficult campaign wise. I remember getting like really frustrated. I never like broke anything or anything like crazy like that, but I, I would get kind of lightheaded because you're just like getting so frustrated you'd get so close to doing it and then like you just kind of get exasperated Mm -hmm. i guess like the time away from video games i got kind of less attached to the outcome i guess is the best way to put it when i stopped playing dark souls back in like 2011 like at that point i was still kind of that way where like i just disconnected from it because it was like well it's just not my game but when i played it you know more recently which was probably in the last like five years six years for the first time i didn't really have that attachment to outcome because it was just like well you know it's just a game you, you can always put it down you can always just look up a way to like beat this part easier or whatever so these days i don't really have that kind of like rage with video games occasionally i can you, you get like a sense of like deflation or like frustration just from you know, doing something and just like just failing at it, but it never like escalates where I'm feeling like actual rage. And it might be just because I've gotten so old that I can't <laughs> raise my testosterone levels high enough <laughs> to get angry at video games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I imagine there's a lot of rage inducing moments when you're playing older retro games. Actually, not really. Uh, I feel like whenever I do play a, a newer game, tend to get more angry at it. I cannot get angry at video games anymore. The last game that I remember getting angry at was the Donkey Kong Country Returns. But um, for me, the appeal of video games is less so about actually playing a game and more so about the database uh, elements. Because for me, games are just pure database. I don't really... Like, my feelings don't really matter as much. I play video games because I'm interested in the narrative of, like, history and the industry. The actual games themselves don't really matter as much. Um, There are definitely exceptions. Like, um, Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne is an incredible example of atmosphere in video games. It's a very immersive game. But that's also kind of why I stay away from newer games um it's that sense of immersion uh not only do i generally value it less but it also kind of takes away from that whole um database thing outside of the game itself because the way i treat games is a little weird in that way most people want to get get invested in the story or the gameplay mechanics i just yeah care about the industry narrative okay what did this guy make what did he go on to make um how is he influential how do these mechanics stack up uh like just objectively at the time how uh, how does it work it's very technical in that sense um also with like how games are actually built like the graphics and stuff i find it very interesting um from like a technical 
uh, perspective. So in that sense, like I know when when I die in a uh, in a game, I know when it's my fault, and I uh, also know when it's the game's fault. Uh, I can really uh, separate those two. And usually, even if it is the game's fault, I'm playing on emulators most of the time, so I've got save states. Why not use them? I don't have that with newer games, so that's a very big turnoff. Uh, obviously, I don't always use save states like to cheat or anything. There are exceptions. Like if you're trying to beat Ninja Gaiden for the first time without save states, you're crazy. Like don't do that. Be good to yourself. Uh, but yeah, overall, I value my own mental state while playing games a lot. So I don't know. I can't really get angry at video games anymore. Uh, in a way, I love them too much to get angry at them. I feel like I kind of understand that because, like, we—I mean, we probably all have that on some level for anime, where like you—you kind of want to watch, you know, all the anime from Takahata, or like you—you you watch an anime and you really like it, and you're like, oh, what what has this guy done? And so, you, like, you kind of explore more into his catalog. So I definitely get the the database kind of side of it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that way about anime now too. <laughs> I'm going back into anime because, of course, we were uh, going to do this at some point. Um, but like actually creating art myself now, not not only with the videos, but also like trying to learn how to draw and stuff like that. I've come to appreciate like the goods in shows. Uh, I don't really care about watching a show. It's terrible. I'm getting angry uh, the way I would at like No Game No Life or white album too like back in the day and when when i say back in the day i mean a couple years ago uh because i got really fucking angry watching those shows because uh, i only really cared about back like in the distant past of 2019 because <laughs> like at that point i mostly just cared about the plot and not really anything else but um like especially in the case of no game on life and stuff like that i could also tell that okay the show looks like shit the sound quality is god awful i i hate everything about this i'm getting angry uh but now like i can watch a somewhat mediocre show and be like well i like that about it the same thing with a game like this game is fucking terrible but you know it, it's kind of funny sometimes i do like utsuru and desu it's like the worst game ever made i have that game complete in box i have the anime i have all of the manga and some of the other uh some of the guys other manga that's not even like available online yeah i got it it's funny so what you're saying is the game mind broke you it did mind break me it did turn me in i'm not gonna go <laughs> i'm not gonna get get into that yeah i mean i think the reason the smash in particular gets me upset or maybe if i i don't think i get as upset maybe with like with multiplayer games there's definitely that aspect of like um actually getting outplayed because when it's when it is just the game itself you know you got killed by an ai yeah there's a sense of losing i don't get i don't it's not the same kind of angry that i get at an anime because there's not it because the the anger comes from a sense of losing like there's in video games you lose you know you can lose right or fail and that sense of failure or uh unsuccess <laughs> like you just didn't win right the lack of winning i guess yeah in a way i suppose it's also more difficult to turn that anger 
into something more positive. Because when I watch, like, you know, a really... If I watch an anti-tube video or something that makes me really angry, I'm gonna be like, okay, this video sucks ass, I'm gonna go make something that's ten times better, blow this guy out the fucking water, I don't care. Um, but w if it's uh, a game, like somebody just beating my ass, I'm just like, fuck. Yeah. I need to get better at this guy. Yeah. But I'm also kind of pissed off. Well, like, you know, the way you're describing, like, when you're mad at a video or something, like, you're almost just more mad at the points that they're making. Yeah. You're just talking about what they're, you know, you just disagree with them very strongly to the point where it's emotionally affecting you. Right. And then, in like a competitive sense, like, you're, you're mad at the person. You're not, or you're, you know, not necessarily just them, but like also at your kind of yourself, because it's like, yeah, it's I I'm largely mad at myself when I'm when I'm angry at video games. I'm not like I'm not trying to be resentful so much. There is there is a little bit of that. You can't necessarily help that. Like who's responsible for this kind of thing? Obviously, sure. But like you know, I'm very much of an empathetic kind of trying to be a compassionate person. I try not to hate people. I mostly turn inward. I mostly am like it's a failure of myself, and I'm angry at myself. And so it's more of a like beating myself up and making myself feel shitty, you know, and I don't want to blame the game or anything because I feel like that there's that nice there's that quote uh, that smash adage called no Johns, please. No Johns. Where you're like, oh, the controller was whatever or oh, the oh, the game was this or, or something. You, you're blaming anything else but yourself. Right. And so there's. There's that concept of no job. It's like, it's on you. You know, you, you, you made the wrong inputs or not the best, not the wrong inputs, but so much as like, not the best possible inputs. You didn't play well. Yeah. In a lot of ways, getting angry at a game is just very counterproductive to the whole yeah. like thing. Exactly. Uh, getting angry at yourself, I definitely feel more of. Uh, but even at that point, I, I have such a competitive mindset that I always try to turn that frustration into like okay i need to get better at this guy fuck this guy um i need to get better myself mostly just i need to be get better less of fuck that guy but there's also a bit of fuck that guy yeah i mean it's interesting that like i, I think if i remember correctly you did say you kind of get more frustrated when you're beaten more like handily as opposed to like if it's like a close game yeah because it feels like i did well in that instance right i don't have to fail myself there's it's more of a, a matter of like there's a the little bit of luck. There's a little bit of this and that. Because there's also, I also, it's dumb. I've, I don't feel it as badly as I used to, but I actually, it got so bad at one point that I actually feel bad when I win sometimes, because I know what it's like to lose, and I, I, I like, I know how bad it feels to lose the way I beat somebody, like being on the opposite end. So I actually sometimes dislike the feeling of winning. I almost feel a little, not embarrassed, but like. I just feel kind of like guilty. Yeah, I think there definitely is a sense of like performance when it comes to playing games with other people as well. Because not only like you can beat yourself up over losing at a video game, but the fact that you're playing in front of somebody else and basically embarrassing yourself, you're like, oh, God, uh, I just <laughs> lost, <laughs> lost to this guy real bad. Uh, he's going to think I'm cringe. No, don't put me in your compilation. Oh, especially, oh, especially if you put yourself in a situation before, like you talked to a big game or something, <laughs> or, you know, not that, not that I would do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a gamer. Do you want to have a match? Oh, shit, I got <laughs> right? fucked. Well, like you wouldn't tell them, like, you know, I wouldn't tell somebody that personally, but I would tell myself this thing. So like I got, I, I approach 
Smash, and I'm like, I'm good at this game. I've beaten a really good player sometimes, and I've done really cool things. I've won tournaments before. So, like, I know I'm good at this game. I also don't play it every day. I don't play it every week. I, I, I'm rusty as fuck, right? Yeah, I think it's all always a matter of, like, just mental perspective. It is. No, it is. And, and so it, it's something I can't help in that. It's something it's hard for me to separate and stuff because those are such, like, iconic moments to me, right? And so it's 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 tough for me in that instance. I guess, it, you know, it's funny. I, like, I don't get as gamer rage or upset at, like, a new game like I, I don't know if i ever got really upset at like breath of the wild or something because it was like it's a new game you know <laughs> like I've never, I've never played it before there could be certain games that i don't necessarily like playing and i try a little bit of it and i'm just like yeah no, I, don't, I don't like it like um i actually just played uh mario 64 for the first time on switch oh yeah with like that new collector's edition because i wanted i wanted i wanted to play mario sunshine on switch so i was like oh yeah I'm going to play that. And so obviously I played, loved that game. And then I go to Super Mario 64, never playing that game before. And I just hate how clunky it feels and like old fashioned. And it's hard to do certain jumps and things like that. And I don't know where anything is. And I'm like, oh. oh, I love that type of just jank and shittiness <laughs> to video game mechanics. I live for that shit. It's so good. Uh, yeah. I love Kuso Gay. Yeah. See, I don't even feel that way about like Super Mario 64. Like that feels like that's like one of those games I could just pick up and play and just like dick around in and not even try to beat the game. Oh, certainly. It's definitely a very atmospheric game, but I can see why people would get uh like really frustrated at it. Well, as someone who only played Sunshine or Galaxy, I think I played a little bit of Galaxy, but for the most part, I've only exclusively played like Sunshine. And like the amount of the further amount of like control that you have of Mario in that one, particularly with a flood and things like that, and just not having that, I think is I'm just speculating really of why I didn't like it as much. Touching more upon Jank, I feel like that's also one of my favorite things about older games, just the fact that nobody knew what they were doing. So in a way, like a lot of those old games, they played like shit. They suck. Um, but there's something charming about it. And uh, there's also something about like flicking the shit switch in your brain and like trying to adapt yourself to these just terrible controls and mechanics and everything that's in a weird way kind of satisfying and i feel like that's something that newer gamers don't really get to experience like we just take it for granted that people have all of this money and like just history behind them whereas you know back in the day you would make i don't know nightmare on elm street uh, for the NES, and like half of the enemies are just like snakes and bats, and like, what does this have to do with the movie again? <laughs> what is what is the meaning of any of this? Um, but for me, it just makes sense. Like just booting up a game and having all of the odds like completely against you, like the game just fucks you over constantly. It's like not even fair. Um, th- there's something about uh beating a game like that that's oddly satisfying and fun well you see that kind of like ties into the whole you know the controversy that you know is around like dark souls where i don't want to say like they feel entitled but you know they buy this game and they're like they expect to beat the game specifically with like sekiro that was the newest one that came out and they expect that they're like the game accommodate them because it's like i bought this product this game should accommodate me and there's definitely like an argument for like accessibility yeah for sure but i feel like a lot of people that are making the argument aren't necessarily doing it for accessibility reasons. 
you have that underlying deal. Like, yeah, they might be have the good intentions of wanting accessibility as well, but you have that kind of <laughs> frustration underlying there as well. Well, there's that there's that mentality that that's changed in the, between those two eras that Hayden's talking about and and today with Sekiro, where their money could be spent elsewhere, their t- money and time could be spent elsewhere on a game that actually accommodates them and is more use you know newcomer friendly. Back in the previous era, they could get away with some of these games that have maybe unfair mechanics or uh, weird controls and things like you kind of have to figure it out because there were so few options back then that especially if you were in a local area like you're not even if we're not even talking emulation if we think about practically you know like the videos the game store or whatever where they get these get where you get these games you only have so many options and so an angry video game nerd touches us on on this all the time and, and how it's like they would assume that this is the only game you have for the weekend or for the month or or whatever and this is all you have in your room so it's like well this is it i'm gonna have to figure kind of sit down and figure it out whereas today they'd be like look there's a, a hundred games on my backlog or other games that i've been meaning to try out even if you have like emulation or something like i i can get with hayden saying that like kind of figuring these things out and losing it losing yourself into the charm of these games is interesting but it is just as tempting to just switch to another emulation, to just switch to another game. It's like, okay, what's next? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Being very consumerist in that way. Whereas like the I think the 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 speed of which the in the income happens back in the back in the day in the eighties and stuff was it, it allowed for more uh patience. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a double edged sword uh in a lot of ways, uh, you know, with emulation and digital downloads and stuff like that but you actually mentioned uh spelunker earlier and i feel like that's a great example because like the whole joke about uh spelunker is that your character dies really easily and you know in a way that's funny so the whole joke with the anime and manga uh, that's based on spelunker is that you know he dies easily he's a teacher um spelunker is a teacher is the anime i think that's the english title um but there's the sense of like community uh to that sort of joke because like they got some really big profile like say you and everything and i feel like they're also in on that sort of joke it's not only like you know big famous celebrities um being in on this like you know arno from game center cx or you know uh, lots of other people like that um, but also uh, in our sphere specifically I feel like um, like the YouTube scene just uh, fuels a lot of that love for video games because if it were not for James Rolfe Angry Video Game Nerd uh, Derek Alexander Happy Video Game Nerd all of these other like several people who have had a massive impact on me personally I would not be into video games at all, probably. Um, Maybe not even anime. Like, they've just had that big of an impact on me, and I think that's definitely something to take into consideration when we talk about, like, um, what we love about video games. It's not only that games themselves are fun, but it's also, you know, bonding over video games it could it could even be a bad game like oh you uh do you remember uh renting this just awful video game back in the 80s oh yeah i remember renting that game that game's a piece of shit and you're like yeah yeah that game sucks 
no, this is bad about it, that is bad about it. There's something fun and friendly about it, just talking shit about video games in that way. And there, there are also things to critique about it. I don't like it when James says that, um, like, oh, they probably only programmed like this amount of levels into the game uh, and made them super difficult because, you know, they didn't care. Uh, they were lazy, stuff like that. That's definitely problematic. And I don't like that way of thinking. Um, but there's definitely something casual about that uh, approach, too. Well, there is something to be said about the the rationale for why they did it. And I do think calling them lazy is sort of a derogatory, but also reductive way of looking at it. Because I do think these are made out of practical sense, like similar to like arcade games. You know, they, they were built to have to not have an ending necessarily or like, you know, they would have like a decent stopping point. Right. So it's where like some people could go on. You could keep playing it if you want or you can um can just kind of stop at a good stopping point like like Donkey Kong. You know, you can get to like that third level and save the princess and then it would restart back to the first level and you'd keep your your score or whatever. And from there the people can either be like, "All right, that was fun," and they kind of move on to something else, or they could continue if they want to keep playing it and try to see how high of a score they can get sort of thing. And the thing with Spelunker, looking at the the YouTube walkthrough that I I watched, it's effectively the same level, more or less. It's a big level and difficult uh but like once you beat that level it palette swaps they they change the color palette and it's more or less the same mate they might maybe tweak little obstacles here and there maybe make it difficult or something uh in places but structurally it seems mostly the same like five or six times and i don't think it's you don't necessarily need to be cynical and call that like a lazy choice or uh economic or, or whatever like, I think you can call that for what it is, where it's like they want to get the most out of it. They want to be efficient with their time. They Maybe they only had so much development time to make this, you know, or they think this is a complete package and they don't have other like like Undertale. Like, you don't want to, like, criticize the game for having for having three roots as like an economical. Oh, they only made this game like, what is it, 10 hours? Like, it's not even that it's not even that long of a game, all, all things considered. Uh, but the fact that you can play it three different ways you know, is itself an economic choice, but it's obviously a very appealing and interesting choice that a lot of people have flocked to. Well, yeah, for sure. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like how anime does limited animation. Yes, like, there are so many exactly. techniques in games and everything that's pretty unique uh, to games, but that yeah. people don't really understand. So yeah. while I understand that Pac-Man has to repeat because the game was only like that big in the arcades they only made they only designed that one map <laughs> yeah i mean in, in a lot of ways that's all you need just you know change up the ai and stuff and you know exactly you're golden yeah you know i think i think that says something to like the database thing you were talking about earlier yeah yeah for sure yeah you know these days like you were saying like a kid born in 2020 there's no way he's gonna be able to play all the classics like i, I do think that with the ease of like technology and accessibility that you definitely have this mindset of like, there's so many things I need to experience. Like I, I can't waste my time on this thing I don't like. So, you know, back then you weren't aware of all these things. Like I'll, I know as a kid, I never even like saw advertisements for video games or like magazines or anything. Like I would just hear about a game occasionally you'd pick it up and that was what you knew. Right. Um, there wasn't like this sense of like, yeah. oh, these are all the games that are coming out this month. Uh, they're all the games that are coming out this year. We got to have anime game of the year. Uh, you didn't have like this massive like database problem. Yeah. 
I feel like Pokemon, in a lot of ways, uh, was most people's introduction to that sort of database, like that uh, way of thinking. Because there are just so many things... Like collecting all of them. Yeah, uh, but not only like the whole uh, catch them all thing, which obviously is the most obvious one, but also like IVs, uh, stats, natures, uh, competitive battling, breeding. Like there are so many factors that make you, like force you to think in that sort of way. And, uh, you know, considering how Pokemon Crystal and Silver were my first games, and I'm sure we all, uh, to some uh, extent, have that uh, sort of mindset. Maybe not necessarily to video games, but also different mediums like anime and stuff, wanting that, you know, uh, complete mindset. Uh, I definitely think there's something uh, to be said about that. I just wanted to make a, I just wanted to make a quick point about the database thing that I, I, I didn't want to forget. Uh, the point I was thinking about how like the rise of letterbox in the past two few years, like very recently was is like a very particular I think it's incentivized a lot of people to database and like look through a lot of old movies, and so it's creating this new hierarchy of kind of like these classic films and things that they're they're becoming more more active cinephiles like cinephiles had obviously been a thing you know Tarantino and Scorsese and things have were obviously you know big into that sort of Roger Ebert. But there wasn't something like Letterboxd that like you could show people like these banners and like and write them and write reviews and things. It's like Mal. It's, it is just Mal or whatever. You mean for games? No, it's for movies. It's for live action movies, right? And no, I mean like, um, but there's no real sort of uh, video game. Version yeah, of that. it's nothing. There's nothing super high profile like Letterboxd or Mal, right? But it has this shareability factor. But I think that the you're right that there's a, an, an intrinsic appeal to databasing that gets people to go deeper and become stronger fans of that particular medium that I think is catching on more these days in that, in the light of like be of being on like the internet providing us like giving us those options in contrast to the 80s where we didn't know all this stuff existed. Yeah, I think Letterbox in particular in the past two years. It, it definitely is very interesting how we don't really have a platform for video games like that on the same scale as something like uh, Letterboxd, IMDb, MyAnimeList, etc. Um, I use Backloggery personally um, because uh, while you have to manually add each game, which is a pain in the ass, it allows for a lot more diversity. Because the thing about movies and uh, like anime and stuff like that is there's a huge database of movies and anime and stuff, but there's also they're also pretty self-contained. Um, there's not really like ROM hacking is a very big part of retro gaming. You can't really ROM hack a movie the same way. I mean, I guess you can make a YouTube poop, but at that point, like, would you say that's still the same movie? I don't know. Um, you're taking the skeleton of a video game and doing something unique with it, or not? Well, you would have to data. You would have to database within that own video game thing, like the way, like all the different mods for Minecraft, which there's countless, countless, countless of them, or similar to Roblox, right? Which that's literally its whole. There's literally its whole thing. Oh yeah, there's just too many variables to feasibly make one website. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you asked that because there is. This is tying into anime. There is a fan edit of Evangelion. I think there's also one for Naruto. I think it's the concurrency of Evangelion, where it combines like the end of Ava and episodes 25 and 26 into like one long cohesive kind of movie. 
so it's kind of interesting that you say that you can't really do that with like movies and stuff because i guess you could i guess you could but it's definitely not on the same scale you could with with uh with uh one one pace one pace and naruto like there's a there's yeah for every like naruto fan edit there will be like a million more uh just even zelda rom hacks for example yeah well literally zelda classic there's people making their own fan games using the zelda one engine yeah like that's that's already that's already hundreds if not thousands if not hundreds of thousands you know it's sort of like the thing with mal and and any of these other sites is that they do have to has to be within some constraints like you can't rationally expect people to include all of these mods of, of video games and things but at the same time i, I just don't think there is a because imdb existed for years almost decades like a long time but like it didn't have that shareability and uh fascination with like a personal top 10 list and you know the, the things that people share with that they do with letterbox letterbox i think is completely overtaken imdb in like imdb is more of a database as it should be but like it wasn't it didn't have a shareability factor that the way that mal does I, imdb was kind of more like a wikipedia in a way where it was like you would look up a show or a movie and you would just like go down this rabbit hole of like oh what has this guy done yeah exactly letterbox is more like the databasing of like all the stuff you have seen yeah showing the cover of this movie and being like this is a great movie yeah yeah, but in that sense, it's also, like, very sad that there's not really as much of an equivalent for video games, because there is so much opportunity for there to be more, like, uh, talk about interviews and stuff. Like, in Anytube, uh, people always, um, you know, cite interviews and sources and stuff like that, and, you know, there are definitely people like Norman from, what's his channel, a Gaming Historian, and Did You Know Gaming, you know, people like that who go a lot more into that but it's definitely not on the same scale for every you know gaming historian there's a million people who look up wikipedia or take internet rumors for granted yeah the the fact that there's not really like a database like that for video games does really frustrate me because like as i've gotten more into you know that kind of databasing with anime where i'm like i get really into like the creative side and i'm like oh who what has this guy done and you can like draw threads of like you know, their body of work. Um, you kind of try to do that with video games. There's not really like an easy way to do that. Like I can't, there's not like a, I mean, there is literally in my video game list, but there's not like the equivalent where you can click on that video game and it tells you like what designer staff were on it. Well, there probably is, but it's just not popular. It's just not like prevalent and dominant, you know? IMDB actually does do that for games a little bit. But it's just not like a streamlined. It's you know, it's the Wikipedia kind of deal. Yeah, I could have sworn I could have sworn I found sort of a, a VGDB or something. Like, I don't know if it was connected to IMDb, but like I could have sworn that I found something like that. But it just wasn't that popular or something, and it just you just don't use it, you know. Yeah, like for me, I like using my anime list where I have like you know the filters and stuff where I can sort by the studio that I've watched. And see like what favorites of mine from that studio, or like the director, and kind of sort that way. And there's not really a way you can do that with video games. Like you can kind of go and explore their stuff, but there's not a way for you to kind of streamline category. Well, there is sort of one way, um, but it's in books. Like if you want to know a lot about video games, you kind of have to really read into it. You can find some interviews online and stuff, but I feel like 
Um, like I bought Magic Knight Ray Earth on Sega Saturn for for like nine hundred dollars. Holy uh, shit! A little while ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, not super happy about that. Uh, gotta love retro game prices nowadays. I feel like there's a lot behind that game that I can extract. Um, because that that's also the thing. Video games are a great form of media mix. Pokemon, of course, probably being the best example of media mix in history, just how it ties into how it works as a video game, but also how it works as an anime, how it works as, you know, uh, collectibles, plushies, figures, trading cards, etc. Like, there's a lot to consider. Um, But then you also have other examples like Magic Knight Rayearth, where the manga was basically built in a lot of ways to be a video game also. Like, it's a manga, it's a video game, and it's an anime, etc. It's all of these things. And it's really interesting, but I don't really see a lot of people talking about that. Uh, Because in the the case of Ray Earth, I've seen people just watching the anime and thinking that it was like mid or something. They didn't like some parts. Maybe they thought season one was fun, and then season two got kind of boring, and then, you know, whatever, who cares? Uh, Or people who only play the Sega Saturn game, or the I mean, the other ones are a bit more egregious. Uh, the Sega Saturn game is a lot more competent because it had uh, Reiko... Uh, f- fuck, I forget her name. Rieko? Yeah, Rieko Yamada? Something? Um, you know, this pretty important figure over at Sega. Um, but people only playing that game, they're only getting a piece of the pie. Uh, same goes with all of the other versions of Ray Earth uh, that are video games. Um, but like... There's not really a lot of people, I feel like, who are willing to really dive into a property the same way that I would for Rayearth, for example. Because um, I've had this fascination for a while now, and uh, <laughs> watching Norality's Cardcaptor Sakura video kind of reinvigorated uh, that spirit in me, because um, that video made me very angry, and I saw her basically alluding to want to make a video on Rayearth in the future, and I was like, Oh god, uh is she going to talk about Isekai again? Oh no. I mean, she could make it work. She definitely could. Um but I'm being a bit skeptical. I don't feel like I feel like there is a lot here to be covered and uh, most people are probably not willing uh to go that extra mile. Uh just like how most people probably aren't willing to go the mile of um uh, going to buy a few books, uh reading them all, like really uh, getting themselves involved not only with the um, games themselves, but also the industry and the people behind them. Because just like how we evaluate anime directors and animators and stuff like that, programmers, graphical design artists, like there's so much that goes into these games that we just kind of take for granted. I feel like it's really sad in that way. There's just so much that we don't know. Yeah, there's also the fact that a lot of these processes are made done by multiple people. And there's no adequate way to find out who did what unless they have explicit like interviews and they say like yeah i added this particular aspect because like i like the thing about i imagine the thing with video games that's a very collaborative effort more so maybe than than other projects because it's i feel like it's both more so and less so because you can make a video game as one person doing that with an anime or a movie it's a lot more of a higher task yeah but but the reason that you're doing you can do it with one person is because the the unique thing with video games is that everything is interconnected with each other. 
the graphics and the music and the the gameplay and the story it's all happening pretty much simultaneously and so you can't have a situation where the right hand isn't do it, it doesn't know what the left hand is doing with a video game otherwise it's very clear and obvious that, that there's two separate aspects and they're not working together yeah, yeah there's also you know the case of bugs and stuff like that which you don't really see in anime well sure but like and it's yeah exactly which is a matter of fine to making it work so it's like it, it would probably be really difficult to properly find unless they explicitly say yeah i'm the one that gave mario the you know that i like that the the fact that mario has a mustache is a technical uh solution because they couldn't physically make a pixel lo- large enough to have a separation between his nose and his mouth yeah and so they had to put like a black pixel in between there and that's but and then like i guess that's a mustache he has a mustache now yeah but the thing is also people in the video game industry are often very eager uh to go and talk about those things because i've seen quite a few interviews where people are being you know super enthusiastic about what they worked on what they did exactly but again it's that matter of accessibility because are you going to go out and it's a matter of also crediting that thing it's crediting those things as well because because it's just like it's one thing to just put the credits yeah especially in the case of older video games where you don't really have a lot of credits yeah it's one thing to put just put the credits directly from the video game onto a website onto a database right and it's another thing entirely to be just like yeah, I I was the one that helped make that choice because I was in the room and they were having this problem and they're like, why don't we try this? And they're like, oh, yeah, that works. And so like they're credit, like technically they're the ones who came up with that idea, but they're not going to be credited on like a, how do you de- how do you credit something like that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's not really that sense of like ownership. Yeah. Because uh, like in, in anime, like an animator might own a sequence of shots or like this singular frame yeah you know we have uh, sakugaburo which that's cataloging these instances but there's all the in-betweeners but that in that instance there's all these in-betweeners right that they they you know that they they worked on it as well what if the animation director corrected a bunch of it what if the director himself corrected a bunch of it uh and other things like that right yeah and they also and those people didn't have any unless there's a freak chance like it's very unlikely that a key animator had anything to do with the music or the character designs or the storyboarding or something like that like there's a it's a much more compartmentalized process where at least i'm assuming i'm not going to try and paint myself as an expert on video games but i imagine if you're making one they're all the same thing it's all together like you have to consider every single piece otherwise well even in like a video game i don't think there's necessarily like that separation that you're talking about because like usually it's like you're working on the mesh of you know some objects or like someone's working on the detailing and so like if you took like a singular frame of a game yeah no one really owns like a singular frame you might could say like oh they own the motion capture of that character this was acted by this person i own that rock (laughs) it's very like compartmentalized yeah as opposed to like anime which is very more broad stroke like you can credit the bat, the art direction to Shichiro Watanabe, uh, not Watanabe, uh, Shichiro Kobayashi, you know, and you could be like, yeah, he, him, or at least his his assistants that he was overseeing, made that. Yeah, you know what I mean. And they are in his style, and it's identifiable in that way. Or Obata's yeah. character, you know. There's definitely a lot of spaghetti involved, and maybe that's why um, it's more common to see that in a book because. Um, in the medium of books, uh, there's a lot. It's a lot easier to just cram in a lot of information and a lot of just hyper autistic specific details that 
maybe you wouldn't find on a Wikipedia article. Like, uh, yeah, on this day uh, at the coffee table, I suggested, yeah, why don't we uh, make this rock like an enemy? Like, you go up to it and, like, it attacks you. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, like, you also can't really credit that in the credits of a video game. Um, that would be really weird. Like, hey guys, I made this one enemy. Uh, I, I gave it this one idea. Thanks, guys. I did I, that. I, was involved. I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, contributed. Yeah. It, it reminds me of uh, Get Back with like the Beatles where like you're watching them make these songs and like they're 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 just kind of figuring it out. Oh, yeah. With Paul McCartney and John Lennon just kind of uh, playing tennis with each other in terms of ideas. And George. But like and George, too, where he's just like, why don't we try that? He's like, I don't think that sounds great because like it's still the, the, the four of them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely Paul and John most uh, prominently but also the other guys of course yeah well yeah like when you watch the doc uh the the new documentary um the, it's literally like two out like there's three episodes each one's over two hours and the majority of it is just watching them figure this shit out and it's really like a little bit of john a little bit of paul a little bit of george and then ringo is just very quiet on the drums and he's like what do you want to do and <laughs> i think he really is just he just shows up does his thing and it's it's really cool but like yeah it, it's a lot of like it's interesting because there is that tension with paul and george paul and john and then george is the one that is like making making the decision because he's like i don't think that sounds good it's like oh that sounds great <laughs> you know like he's kind of their litmus test he's it was that he was their like their mediator. Yeah, he was pretty decisive. Pretty much, it was really interesting. Um, but that that documentary is great. I guess that kind of goes into like the investment of it. You know, you kind of see it in like anime and like just the general fandom. Before you'd have to be super invested in it to like even watch anime. Like you know, going back to the '90s, you either had to be in a mailing club or be tech savvy enough to be on like IRC. And I don't even. Th- I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with it. I don't know if they even had like anime on RC. I know they had uh, like movies and music and stuff, but anime might not even been on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, writing a book obviously is going to call for much more like uh, investment into what you're writing the book on, as opposed to like a Wikipedia article where you can just kind of non-committally contribute something and just kind of forget about it. If it's incorrect, someone else will just come fix it for you. You know, add on to it, whatever. So. I think that definitely makes sense that you would get more of a extensive kind of catalog in a book where someone's obviously got the investment in the subject to set out to write the book to begin with, as opposed to just like, you know, a non-committed fanpedia article or something. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, it also just creates a lot of myths around video games, which in a way are also very interesting and definitely worthy of you know, looking into you. You mean like uh, Captain Falcon being uh, Samus's brother? Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty interesting how that is the case because video games themselves kind of encourage you to, you know, make up those stories on your own. Like, um, you know, you under under the truck. It's very mysterious in a lot of ways and uh, intriguing. Like, ooh, what are these unlicensed NES games? I wonder what's you know what is the deal with them yeah yeah i mean going like pokemon specifically like there's the whole community of people that are just so invested in like red and blue that you have like the theory crafting of uh the tower being built and like it being haunted and they need to sell like the whole kind of like backstory lore going on that people just kind of speculate on of like why giovanni needs the self-scope and uh why they're even in lavender town tower 
to begin with. Like all you people just get kind of so invested in the story and the world of Red and Blue. Yeah. That they're just like creating these stories themselves almost. I feel like it really is just most about lore. Like more than any other medium, I feel like gaming um, really just takes lore into the, uh, consideration the most uh, because it is the medium that most encourages you to, again, you know, make up your own stories and come to your own conclusion because it's not always spelled out to you and you can't always find the information, um, whether it is available and it's in some, you know, obscure magazine from 1983 or something, or if it's, you know, readily available on wikipedia and everybody already knows about it well it's the medium of the most dead space isn't it like you don't really have just these moments of you know if you go into a video game if i play fallout 3 or something i can just stand in the middle of town and not do anything that's never gonna happen in a book or uh an anime or anything like that and if it does it's you know you get like the evangelion elevator scene where it can only happen for a very brief amount of time before people you know, kind of make these jokes about it being budget saving and uh, they ran out of budget to animate this, you know, elevator scene and stuff. Like you could do that in a video game for hours. So there's just so much more like dead space or dead air, I guess you could say, in the world of a video game where you have to fill it with like so much more lore. Yeah, yeah that that's especially what I really like about the older Pokemon games, uh, because personally, I feel like as time went on with Pokemon, it became a little less about just making lore and more about, you know, following the story. Um, you probably know what I mean, Mumi. Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely why I like, Ren I mean, you know, Gen 1 or who. Uh <laughs> yeah, honestly, I feel like that's what most people actually have problems with when it comes to newer Pokemon games. Uh, personally, I haven't played anything past uh, Black and White, so I can't really comment on that uh diamond and purple uh, diamond and pearl and black and white are fine games and i no won't call them cowbunga bullshit or whatever um you know derogatory thing but um th there definitely is a, a beauty to red and blue in those games yeah i i mean i like uh you know the newer game well up to a point i kind of i didn't like sun and moon all that much so i kind of fell off after you know omega ruby alpha sapphire I did like the newer games. Like I did really get invested in, you know, breeding your team and fighting uh, competitively kind of thing. I did really get invested in that. And I did have a lot of fun with that and building like team building and, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to use uh, this Pokemon people don't typically use and we'll see how that goes. Or I'm going to build a theme kind of team, uh, like, I don't know, anime character team or you know, Sandstorm team. Like you can do all this kind of cool stuff with the games later on, but I always think of like Red and Blue as like my favorite Pokemon game, where like the later games are more like my favorite games that are Pokemon kind of deal. Yeah, <laughs> like I I don't necessarily go play the newer games for that immersion or that like lore and that experience like I do Red and Blue. Like I'll just boot up Red and Blue and just replay it just to feel that immersion again and like go through the story and kind of p connect plot threads like Ditto being a failed Mew clone and all that. I get really like invested in that, whereas the newer games, I just will boot up the game and just build a team. Like I'm not resetting the game. I, the stories were fine. I I like the newer game stories fine. Like it, it was a cute story, but it's not one I'm going to keep revisiting and coming back to. Yeah, honestly, I feel like 
with uh, Silver and Crystal, the ones that I played first. If those games did not have a day, day and night cycle, I'm not sure if I would be as attached to them um, as I am. Because while I do love Red and Blue and, you know, Gen 3 and all of those games, it's just something about having a day and night cycle made it feel so much more personal in a lot of ways. Mm. Had just the right amount of dialogue, just the right amount of, you know, lore with the, uh, the Slowpoke Tales and everything. And the guy who had a fetish for Suicune, so I have no <laughs> idea what the hell that was all about. But, you know, it's really cool. And that's exactly what I needed as a kid, as somebody who, like, never really had any close friends growing up. It's like, not only were the Pokemon my friends, but also just the world of Pokemon w was a place I would rather uh, be in at the time. And now as an adult, I see how that can also be problematic in a lot of ways, because if I lose myself in a world, that means I'm not, you know, being productive with, you know, working on a video or studying anything like that. So that's also like a huge reason why I why I choose not to dedicate myself to newer games, not only because I don't always like uh, the direction of, you know, where video games are going, but also just that commitment and uh, that fear of getting too into it. Yeah, you could say that a lot about a lot about World of Warcraft, right? Oh yeah, World of Warcraft is probably a lot like that. Oh yeah, MMOs especially. God, I would never. Yeah, in general, in general, right? Like Final Fantasy fourteen is a is a prominent example nowadays. But like, I do have some mutuals that like have been playing the game since 2004 like since it came out and they have their original character and they're still they're still into it you know and obviously they're adults now and they can like and they have good decent time management like it's not complete obsessive over their lives although it has consumed some people's lives like it, it you know i don't want to go into the argument about it being an addiction and things like that i do think that like i do think that anything in excess can be an addiction it's just like you know if if people treat it as you know ad addictive qualities and stuff i wouldn't say video games themselves are addictive um it just kind of depends on the, the individual which brings me th which like i wanted to touch on that that previous point that movie had brought up about like fallout 3 like just standing in the middle of a thing for a few minutes or whatever like you're not going to get that in like a movie or a book or something mm -hmm. i think that's because it's it's up to the player's choice and the audience that, sure. that yeah. make that decision you know because there are some audiences that wouldn't that wouldn't do that right they either shut the game off or pause it or or whatever or they, you know they they might just move you know schmove it right uh or even faster like you know the whole thing with speed running because it's, it's like it's all up to the player autonomy and the, the audience whereas uh books and, and movies and narrative driven things it's sort of like they're either dictated on their on their medium like you can't really you can't really expect a six-hour movie where you know movie theaters they can only play that movie pragmatically they can only play that so many times they can only have so many showings so it can only make so much money right and audiences may not want to sit for six hours right even if it's really really good you know like you might rather want to put that on a streaming service maybe divvy it up into some episodes and uh let the audience they can pause and resume you know visit it visit back it whenever they want and so that way you can kind of put as much of that content as you want. Like the you're excited, like kind of I hate to I hate to leave it back again and to get back, but like that was original like that footage that they made for that doc for that documentary was originally from 
in a documentary they made at the time of that recording that was only like an hour like a normal a normal length movie right like an hour of 30 whatever or less but they filmed 150 hours of audio and and 60 hours of video and all of that is super valid like why not put like a 60 hour you know all this footage and stuff but at the same time you know some of it's not very usable or some of it's not very as interesting but a lot of it is right so i think that the, the advent now of like being able to make three two over almost three hour movies three three hour movies <laughs> at least over two hours right of them just playing and stuff and a lot of it's kind of mundane actually a lot of the movie is actually kind of just not a lot's happening uh which is kind of similar to this video game thing which isn't as much the audience's choice but it's sort of the the difference of medium there yeah i don't know i just think that was interesting that you're right that the, it, that doesn't happen as often yeah so i mean we can tie that back to like mentioned offhand earlier about the boy band like pop idol group thing mm-hmm. like i definitely think there's more of like an audience now where people are just more invested in like an artist or like a group that yeah you would have like the audience for you know even the shots that, like the 60 hours of footage even the stuff of just like you know paul mccartney picking his nose or mundane you know that kind of thing yeah. would have like an audience that they could just catalog the whole like you could just take clips of each character like uh, character, each person and be like oh this is all the archive footage of him like and it might be like 40 hours of footage right yeah especially when it's 50 years after the fact in the case with get back for sure like this was this they didn't touch any of this this footage for 50 years partly because the um I think I don't want to get too much about this, but like, <laughs> it was partly because the audio was kind of crap because like, you know, it's not that their audio wasn't as sophisticated. It's that the, like it would be not well mixed. And so you couldn't tell what they were saying, but you could hear stuff, but you couldn't make out anything in particular, like, couldn't articulate anything. And so Peter Jackson like had developed this technology where you can separate the audio from like you can tell you teach AI to know what a bass guitar sounds like and what drums sound like. And so you can isolate those sounds so then you can properly mix them and you can hear everything that they're saying, even the stuff that they don't want you to hear because like they turned the amps all the way up so that they can drown out their conversation. So it's not so it can be more private. And, the, and so they're like, oh, no, we can we can hear everything now. And so it's actually usable and like all the video restoration that they did as well. Yeah, I've yeah. seen like clips on YouTube. I haven't. I'm really bad about <laughs> actually following up on that shit. But uh, like they have like restored footage where like an AI has like restored grainy footage from like 1920 or yeah yeah and like upscaled it. Well, they restored it, restored it to the proper frame rate. That was the thing that Peter Jackson was working on like before Get Back. His previous his previous movie was uh, a restoration footage of World War of World War One, and he made it so that it's a proper frame rate so it looks like it's it's 60 frames for like you know it's it looks natural to the human eye so it looks like real footage it didn't look like that weird like sped up like <laughs> it, it's not choppy right it's not like choppy and sped up and everything and not black and white they actually were able to colorize it and they 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 didn't restore audio in the same way like the audio literally didn't exist for some of this but they literally like overdubbed all the voices and like figured out what they were saying and like the added the instruments and everything so it literally was just like they re they completely restored this it's unbelievable i haven't seen the movie yet i wonder if it's on youtube yeah i i saw like a a clip that was talked about like this woman that can read lips and she's like they're having her watch footage of the you know soldiers in like world war one in the trenches and stuff yeah and like she's actually reading their lips of what they would be saying like that stuff is like so like interesting and cool to me 
Yeah, they're called it's called They Shall Not Grow Old, but like it's unbelievable. I think that is also one interesting thing about games. I guess we could end on this uh topic since our group watches almost uh in a little bit. But um it is also just how video games use technology and not only like accessories and stuff like that, but also pushing hardware limitations, like sometimes even putting uh new chips and cartridges for better sound quality like the VRC6 chip in Lagrange Point or yeah. you know the power glove and you know how a lot of this technology is really revolutionary and kind of incredible it even happened at all i f- i think that's yeah i mean we we joke about it now like i'm drinking rollin rock on the rollin rocker rollin rock on the rollin rocker <laughs> you know that's funny it's definitely yeah, funny to yeah. look back on but just like imagine actually being a kid in the 80s and playing with a power glove, it doesn't it's matter that novel. that thing's a right. fucking piece of shit and it sucks. It's a power glove. I'm it's playing a video cool. game with it's a glove. Really... I have I have a power glove myself, actually. It's, it's so, so bad. It's so yeah, yeah. bad. It's 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 so it bad. It is so bad. <laughs> yeah. No, it's still just fun to play with. Like it, you don't even have to play a game yeah, necessarily. Cool. Just having it on, you're like, yeah, I'm just like that kid from <laughs> the wizard. I don't know the channel. I don't know the the channel that the, the Twitter account that does this, but they do that like comparison of uh, pixel art. Like they compare the pixel art on a CRT versus like, you know, like actual like sourced from the game footage and like what the actual pixels look like. And it actually, the pixel art almost always looks better on a CRT than the game. than like seeing the actual pixels in like full quote unquote HD because they took the contours and like the kind of the rendering in mind of like transferring it into a CRT. And so the pixel art actually looks phenomenal. Like when it's like rendered that way and sort of like seeing the comparison. But even that, it's also interesting how like they build video games in the case of Chrono Trigger. I remember um, there's like this castle in Chrono Trigger with a, like a big moon over it. And in the actual game, uh, because the the game itself isn't built in four by three; it's built as a like perfect square. So you kind of have to squish the moon a little bit. So when it's blown yeah, out, yeah, one by one, yeah, one by one. So when it's blown out, you know, to four by three, it actually you know looks circular. Wow. And there are some games that didn't do that. Right. I can't remember if Mortal Kombat like didn't do that or not, but uh, there are definitely examples you can find of people not doing that. And it's again just more things to appreciate about video games that you wouldn't know if you weren't hyper autistic yeah it's it's problem solving because they realize they realize that like because they have to test play it on an actual tv that that most audiences will have yeah 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 because that's it's so much more technology sensitive when you think about it because movies books they're not really think like books aren't necessarily they're kind of thinking in that practical way especially if you're like an encyclopedia and you're like i, I literally can't fit all of these words onto this many pages like, otherwise we have to get like the thinnest possible paper stock and shit like that. Like there's some technical challenges and pragmatic limitations in that in that sense. Oh yeah. But like But it's also just more database. Yeah, but it's not as as intimate with technology as video games. Live video games like that it's literally becoming a problem with some of this preservation stuff. Like it's so much more of a sensitive problem on the preservation side and on the physical media side than anything cuz like with books it's like dude, you could just what does the text say? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that the words are right there. Yeah. Video games are very well preserved, I will say. I think it is incredible how like well we've 
preserved video games. It's because they realized how how important it is. Like people realize, like this is not books. This isn't yeah. movies. And you know these cartridges, they aren't going to last forever. Your yeah, your copy of uh, Takeshi's Challenge is not probably not going to work in thirty years from now. Yeah, and that's like kind of scary to think about because like oh shit this giant investment that i made i I spent a hundred thousand dollars on video games and it's all going to just be dust in a few decades oh no uh thankfully that's not me um except that is kind of me in a way because i spent nine hundred dollars on rares for saturn (laughs) why did i do that it does bring up the like interesting dilemma uh because with all the you know archiving and cataloging of you know games you know for preservation you you do kind of lose that like tangible like you know playing it on the actual hardware and for a lot of games it might not necessarily you know make a difference like to an extreme degree but even just like a simple example of like you know ocarina of time for the 3ds like you're gonna lose transferring that to uh, a pc emulator you're losing that gyroscope uh that the feet like the tangential feel of moving you know your control or your console around and like being able to see the world in like first person and yeah I mean, you could just put it on an everdrive or something there definitely is ways of you know putting a game on original hardware even after you know the uh the real games have all disintegrated but it, it's also just not really the same yeah you no know, it's one thing saying i'm playing uh magic knight rare for the sega saturn oh what are you playing it on oh i'm i just got a like an EverDrive disc or whatever, and actually playing it. I mean, I wouldn't do that because it's stupid expensive, and I keep bringing it up to justify my purchase. But but I digress. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely something about it. Well, so that, I mean, I did want to ask y'all um, before we wrap everything up. Like, are y'all into like? Coll- I, I know you know. I know Hayden is obviously. He just talked about paying uh, quite a pretty penny for uh, <laughs> yeah. Earth, but. Like, are, are, y- are y'all into, like, collecting, you know, all the games that you enjoy or, like, anything to that capacity? Or I'll let you go first, Shabes. Not necessarily. I barely have the space for it right now. I barely have, you know, like, with anime, too, it's like, you know, I have to be kind of very selective. Like, I would rather get, like, physical anime purchases than, than games so much. But I really like having, like, a, an online lab- library and stuff and being able to just have the, the save data on my Switch. I really like that over like, you know, oh, where's my memory card and things like that. And it does make it convenient to swap games like if you're taking on a plane and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's space efficient. I'm I'm still very boomer on it. <laughs> like I I do want like you know, you run into the issue with like the Xbox Live Arcade back for the original 360. You can't access that anymore. So, you know, the digital games that if you, you know, you lose your hard drive for the 360, you're losing those games, like the ownership of those games, and you're just going to have to turn to, you know, emulation and, um, you know, less legal means. So in that way, I'm I'm very boomer, where I, I really appreciate being able to have the game where I know, especially because I, you know, I kind of like you, where I didn't have internet for a few years, um, so I didn't just have that ease of access, and being able to, like, have those physical games was you know the world difference like if i just had to rely on steam i wouldn't be able to get new games i wouldn't be able to um play a lot of them because i would be able to get online so having the physical games and just having the you know being able to see like the cover art it's almost like uh by like i also collect like vinyls like having 
the tangential like feel like there's definitely like a removed like experience from just playing the game or just listening to like the music or something like that on your computer and just experiencing it and having it be like an actual experience where like you have to get the game and you have to open the vinyl um you have to put it into the console and you just have that whole tangential experience of it and just being able to see it on the shelf and just have like the library and the collection collect i don't own a whole whole lot like i only probably own a couple hundred which a lot of them i bought you know <laughs> on sales and for like five dollars so not a lot of them are like the greatest games but you do get to like experience some games that you might not have you know looked into if you were just buying you know the trend setting kind of games yeah and i guess it's it's kind of ironic where i am at with video game collecting right now because it started out as a sort of budget thing i don't have enough money to keep up with newer games so i can just um get like some super nintendo games because that is the cheaper option and it's, and it's what i'm interested in now with the retro game prices being outrageous for basically anything because everybody wants to have a complete nes collection or a complete anything um it's not the same thing anymore it is actually way cheaper being a modern gamer so while i have a not a sizable collection of video games i'm okay with what i have um but there are definitely some that i would would like to get um i guess we could end this with um our favorite video games so my favorite game um is the well, the mother trilogy just uh the whole thing um i love each game basically just as much as the, as the next i don't see any of them as being inferior or whatever to each other they're all special and unique in their own ways and i would love to own them all eventually um getting earthbound complete in box is a little daunting to say the least because it's definitely over a thousand dollars and shit um but it's something I might be willing to actually take the plunge on someday. Um, I did do that for Ray Earth, and I guess it's a bit of an exception because it's always, uh, it's also been one of those games that's been on my watch list that's like somewhat feasible. I had the money at the time, so I went for it. Um, but am I getting like Mr. Gimmick, which is also one of my favorite games for God knows how much that is going for nowadays, or any of the other like holy grails that i've always wanted no probably not i'm fine collecting mostly just anime games uh nowadays that's mostly uh just what i get i have almost all of the cardcaptor sakura video games um for the like super nintendo game uh, not super nintendo uh game boy um playstation 1 you know etc it, it's in a way something that feeds into both of my hobbies of anime and games because um they're not always very good but they're they look good on a shelf they're somewhat interesting i'm okay with it it's satisfying uh satisfies my needs um but yeah definitely the mother trilogy is my number one favorite mm, nice it's a good pick um yeah i i i definitely do like earthbound and mother three uh they're not my favorite, so... I have to play both the other ones. I've only played Earthbound. Tying that back a bit to the emulation deal real quick, uh, I think Mother 3 kind of suffers from that. Uh, being Because I know when I played, I, tr I played, you know, on the 
I got like a reproduction cart, but it's not, you know, official hardware. So, you know, there's a very much like a rhythm aspect of that game, but I never know if I'm doing it correctly or if it's like, I'm just, I suck, which, you know, I was into music for like seven years. Like I, I have like that internalized like metronome going, but <laughs> the system can be pretty tight. I will say. Yeah. Um, but not my, so I'm very, very boomer. I'll probably just throw like my, uh, game, uh, mosaic up on here, uh, on the video, but, um, definitely my favorite games, um, are, you know, Ocarina of Time. Like that game has just been very, uh, timeless for me. (laughs) Like it's a game, like I experienced it as a kid, um, and that was like the watershed moment for me. It was a game that I came back to. Um, the themes of it really resonated with me because uh, it's, you know, it's about growing up, and you know, everyone talks about like you know people just like Ocarina of Time for nostalgia, which there's definitely something to it. Because, I mean, if you played it as a kid, the game is literally about growing up or like, you know, somewhat growing up too fast or too quickly. And, like, the lamentation of, you know, innocence lost. Um, so going back as an adult, I get so much more out of it than I did as a kid. But I still have, like, that those memories of the, you know, excitement and, like, the grand scale of the adventure when you're, like, seven years old playing it for the first time. But now I get to look back at it with, like, the limitation of, you know, missing those days. And uh, it's very much about... Um, you know, and it's like the whole thing with Sheik, she is basically just there, you know, making limericks about, you know, her loss of innocence and like projecting that onto your, the character in the game. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a game that, uh, that has kind of evolved with me and like my appreciation for it has evolved. Um, it, it definitely. There are definitely games, like, it's fair to say there are games that have been technically made better. Like, no one's going to argue that Art and, and, uh, Ocarina of Time is still the best crafted game as far as, like, technology. Um, but that's definitely the one that's, like, the most personal to me and still holds up as, you know, just resonating with me on that deep level, even, gosh, 15-so years plus removed from my first time playing it you know i don't i don't want to i don't want to have this podcast be absent of the the story i like sharing about ocarina of time with my personal my personal experience with it um the 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 first it was the first zelda game i ever played and i don't think i even knew what zelda was really uh and i had been playing a lot of my gamecube that first year i think it was the first one or two years I'd been playing probably too much of it, and my mom was like, go outside for a little bit. Go, Just go outside. Just walk around. I'm like, but it's raining outside. And she's like, doesn't matter. Go. Go enjoy nature. Enjoy the beauties of nature. So I'm like, okay. And I walk outside, and I'm just going to walk around my backyard, because I'm still like, I think in elementary school, like middle school a little bit. But I'm young. I'm not just going to wander around the neighborhood or something. So I just kind of walk around my yard a little bit. And it's a little bigger than some people's, I guess. It's 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 a little uh, a little more sizable. And I am just kind of enjoying the aesthetic of rain and stuff. And it is kind of nice. 
and I'm on my way walking back to the to my house is the, the back door and stuff and I'm on this path and on the side of the path literally in my backyard literally in my my house's backyard is a plastic baggie with Ocarina of Time Master Quest for Nintendo GameCube it, it's just there in a little plastic baggie well clearly someone got pulled over I was like what the fuck and I, I was like literally like this is the only game I, the only game system I own and I'm like it's for GameCube and so like I have that I still have that disc and I literally was like oh my god is it is it okay is it like is it not scratch what is this and like I put it in and it's it's either version and I didn't know what the difference was at the time I had literally no idea and I don't think I found out for a while uh because like you would start the game, I was like, "What's the other game?" And it's just the same game, but the difference was is the dungeons were different. And so like I just I just played. That's how I started it, and I, that's how I got into it. It was it was crazy. <laughs> just a complete. You didn't get to play Zelda, so you had a, an IRL. Zelda I thought moment. the guy's name was Zelda. I was like, "Oh, I'm playing Zelda." Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's the legend of the guy I'm playing Zelda. You know. Now I, I like I like your idea movie about um a three by three like posting a three by this could be like in a video form I'll uh, I'll make one and send it and uh, I'll I'll have it on you know if that's okay with you yeah no that's great yeah I'll put it up sure. uh, I guess I'll make one to you I was gonna rattle off some more games but I I'll, yeah yeah I'll put them on yeah unashamed no I'm not posting yours oh okay good you don't get one <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when like when you put like. When you put it, when you put forward, like, what's your favorite, like the number one sort of thing. I'm in that point with video games. Like, I was in that stage with anime where I never really had a number one until until Joe. And I'm like, because by, by then I was like, I guess it's Black Butler. Right. But I wasn't as committed to that choice. It was sort of a placeholder until that number one came along, which was Joe for me. So, like, I don't know if there's like a number one game. that's like, oh, it's got to be this sort of thing. But I have to say, like, if I'm going to choose one. I think it's one that I just have a lot of fond memories for and just sort of I still really rep as a as a great game and shit and that's uh, that Sonic Adventure 2 battle uh, I love that game uh, I I love the feel of it I love the characters I really like the the, the game feel <laughs> feel game uh, and yeah it's, it's, it's fun I would want to play it right now like it, do you it, like the Chow Garden yeah, it's. I love this, the music in that. Uh, I like the Chows. I'm, I never really got so much into breeding them in this. I never got like super hardcore into that. But I always, I always picked up the Chow King. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I didn't always like skip it. You know, I did, I did do a little surface level. I'm very, I'm a very basic bitch with gaming. Such a basic bitch. Um, like yeah, other... I never really got into the Chow Garden myself. I only kicked them around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, uh, you know, if I, showing my three by three would be. It'd be like, oh, this is kind of weird, <laughs> like kind of all over the place. Uh, but it would be the kind of the games that I'm nostalgic for of that time. And I don't think I'd have, I, you know what? There would be one game that I played recently that would be on there. Um, and that'd be Short Hike. Uh, hmm. and that's an indie game with like a little bird. You, you fly around an island. It's amazing. And I've played that. Game. I think I've seen that. Yeah, it's something I you haven't can, heard of it. You can beat it like very short. It's a very short game. Like you can uh, even like never played it for the first time. You can probably beat it in like an hour or two. Um, but I just love replaying it all the time. It's something just like a quick thing. It's ugh, I love it. Yeah, I, I, I highly suggest checking it out. 
It's very ex- ex- exploration based and, uh, you know, it has like Animal Crossing type characters and dialogue because they're all animals and um, kind of very, very interesting dialogue. Very, it, it feels like it was really written for adults, like by, you know, because the main character, um, her mom is sick. And so she goes to this island to kind of take her mind off of things. It's a little bit of vacation and she doesn't have self-service on that island. So the only self-service is at the very top of the island. So she has to get, and that's what the short hike is, is making it to the top. And that's the challenge sort of thing. Um, but then when you get there at the top, like she finally calls you and, and uh, she's been worried. And like, like the main character has been worried about her mom and, and the mom's like, Oh, I'm fine. And they, you know, have this really encouraging phone call. And then you like, catch a drip uh, a, a, a wind from from the top of the mountain you're able to fly all the way down and it's it's treated as a very kind of cinematic cool moment yeah it's it's a it's a good game it's a very, very cool good game um i do want to ask one last thing before we wrap it up what is the longest time you've played a video game before pissing yourself uh, it's probably zelda it's probably like trying to figure out zelda or something like figuring out a dungeon and shit like taking a long time um, in that. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'll have to say uh, I've I've never actually pissed myself, so I can't answer that question. I've pissed myself, but not but not during video game, just accidentally. Yeah, I probably pissed myself playing Pokemon at some point. That's that's definitely a good place. Just kidding, that was a lie. <laughs>